This series of messages, gospel and relationships, is part of a larger series, in case you weren't here last week, that started studying the entire uh, first, uh, New, uh, New Testament letter, 1 Corinthians. We started it back in the fall of this year, took a break for the holidays and some other um, focused topics, and picked up, we'll call it part two here, the gospel and relationships. If you weren't here last week, I mentioned that these chapters, my original title was Uh, sex and relationships because in these chapters, uh, chapters 5 through 7, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about this. Now, we could have skipped these chapters, you know, Uh, know, go to chapter 4 and pick up in in chapter uh, uh, 8, but, you know, we don't want to do that. We want to preach the word and, and let it Uh, hit us where it hits us. So that's what we're doing. So I just say that by way of introduction. If you weren't here last week, if you were and you came back, good to see you. Glad that you're back uh, here for part uh, message number two in this series. And let me say a few words about it um, as we get into reading these verses. The second half of of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is where we'll be if you want to get ready, is perhaps the most important discussion in all of the Bible, or one of them, on the role of the human body in redemption, okay? You know, I don't know if you even think about it in that case. You know, if if you are a Christian here today, and Christ is your Savior, and we we often talk a lot about, as we should, you know, where are we going when we die? That's an important question. It's part of what we call eternal life or everlasting life. But the body, the one you have today, actually plays a significant role in your redemption. What is the thinking, the theology? This is one of the most important places, these nine verses that we will read about the human body. It is also one of the most important places, maybe the central text in all of the New Testament, on a Christian sexual ethic. Okay? In all, now you say, does the, does the, why is there such a thing as a Christian sexual ethic? Isn't there just one sexual ethic and we get it from, I don't know, the school and the culture? Well, actually, no, right? I mean, the Christians, the, the point of view of the word of God in many areas, not just sex, of course, there's a different point of view. And the Apostle Paul wants to talk about it, perhaps because it was a big issue in this culture, all kinds of unhealthy sexuality, but I think it is and always has been, and it is in our culture. So it's also a central text about a Christian sexual ethic. But like the rest of the book, by way of introduction, it's kind of done in an unconventional way. Uh, that is, the whole book is done in an unconventional way. We'll see this in a minute. In other words, instead of just a book that says, the topic is A, and you know, uh, paragraph one or section one, almost like it's a table of contents, what we have in 1 Corinthians is actually a dialogue between Paul, the apostle, the writer, and this congregation, sometimes a debate, and sometimes we only have half of it. That is to say, Paul is answering questions that he got as a letter from this congregation that he started five years about earlier. So we don't have that letter that he's responding. You said this, but I'm saying that. But we can piece together, to a degree, um, what um, Paul thinks and what we believe is the word of God. So I'm just giving you that by way of introduction. Now, the surface subject of the verses we are about to read, the surface subject that, large, that launches the larger discussion about, let's say, human sexuality, is that some of the men in this young congregation were visiting prostitutes. First Corinthians, okay? They were doing that. Now, let me say a quick word about that. 
Um, in this first century culture, prostitution was legal. It's not legal in our day. I know it is some places, but for the most part, it's not legal. And more than that, it was a widely accepted in the society, okay? I'm sure some people discourage their spouses if they were married for going to the prostitutes, but what I'm saying is it was legal and it was largely accepted part of the culture. Some of the men in this congregation, right, new believers all back in this day, continued this practice believing, actually, strange as this sounds, believing that continuing this practice was actually no problem. It was part of their freedom that they had in Christ. Because Paul had talked an awful lot about freedom in Christ. We are released from the, from, the, from the obligations of the law. Christ has given us a kind of freedom like nothing else. We are free. And Paul said that. And they said, okay, well, this would include this practice, which was not a new practice. They didn't come up with this new idea. They were just continuing something that they had done, that many people had done in this culture. Okay? That's the introduction to this passage. My title of my sermon is A Holy Body. Follow along as I read these words. Nine verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. I have the right to do anything. There's quotations you'll see. The quotations are what translators believe the congregation said in their letter. Then Paul answers in his own. You say, but everything Uh, Not everything is beneficial, Paul's words. Another quote, I have the right to do anything, unquote. But I, Paul's saying, will not be mastered by anything. You say, quote, food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both, unquote. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here's where the teaching comes now. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, quote, the two will become one flesh, Genesis 2.24. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee. From sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Now, What is Paul going to do with this? He wants to say something to this congregation and and I think by extension perhaps to us. But instead of attacking the behavior, you know, he could just go, listen, this is wrong. Stop doing it. Okay? He could do that. But I would say that that doesn't work for pastors too much better, much better than it does for parents, right? You know, you know, often your kids, sometimes you need to just say, stop doing it, it's wrong, whatever the kish is. But very often, as your kids uh, mature, and as Paul's talking to adults, I think, he wants to talk to them about why they shouldn't do it, okay? He confronts not simply the behavior, but the thinking behind it, the theology behind it, the theology or the thinking upon which it was predicated. Here's 
one of the big ideas. The reason, Paul's going to say, to this young congregation, new Christians all, for the most part, that this is wrong and this is harmful is your body, the one you have now, is forever. Okay? Your body is forever. Now, all people, past and present, you know, we don't, when we become a Christian, for that many, we become a human being, but when you, you, know, you don't just start with a blank sheet of paper, right? You are getting, you are being formed, I am being formed. Long before I became a follower of Jesus at 18 years old, you might say, I began to be discipled by friends in the word of God. I was being discipled by the world that I live in. That's always been the truth. And I have to, I'm still doing this, but as you grow as a Christian, I need to differentiate between what saith the culture whether that's my mom, dad, the school teacher, the president of the United States, it doesn't matter. Where with the culture, what do they say and what says the word of God and I'm being discipled, right? This has always been true. In this day, the culture believed on this issue, the body. And Plato and others like him taught, who were the great minds in the distant, not too, in the near past of this culture. The culture believed that the body was temporary, the body was secondary, the body was ultimately unimportant. It was like a husk, use a a metaphor, that you just sort of lose, that you shed in the end of this life as you go into the next one, if there even is a next life. But this is what was taught. This was the cultural belief. It was, you call it a dualism between matter and spirit, between the immaterial and the material. And the body was part of that unimportant, significant, secondary, tertiary thing that you just shed away so you can understand how in the culture, even pre-Christian and post-Christian, they thought, well, listen, we want to do what God says. He saves the soul, but what you do with the body ain't all that important. That's what Paul is trying to talk about. So that's what the culture believed, but the Apostle Paul, certainly Jesus before him and the New Testament writers all around him believed very differently. They believed that the body was an integral part of our redemption, our salvation, and an integral part of our present worship. Present your bodies, he'll say in another passage, as living sacrifices. Your body, Paul wants to say to this congregation, is destined not for destruction, but for resurrection. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. Yeah, we love that. He will also raise you. Okay? He will also raise you, your body, just like his. The work of redemption includes the whole person. Listen, spirit, got it? Soul, got it? And body. Body. Note takers. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 I pray that you that your whole spirit your whole soul and your whole body be found blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ okay your body is forever many christians still believe today i don't know about anyone in this room they imagine their future hope in disembodied terms right their souls going off to heaven when they die and maybe forever being that way, okay? It hardly occurs to anyone, or some of us, 
that this is a major modification, listen, even a betrayal of what the New Testament actually teaches, not just in this passage, but throughout the entire thing. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, one verse. Paul writing to a different congregation, same author, same subject. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now what does he mean by that? He's talking to these Christians. He's not, he's not crazy. He's not saying, I know you live in Philippi. I just sent a letter by you know, a, a courier. When he mentions your citizenship's in heaven, he's talking about being in the presence of God. I don't know, our theology on heaven's a little uh, imperfect, but we often say, well, heaven... But I don't think heaven actually is a place like it's beyond the stars. We think of it that way. Heaven is really a dimension of reality that we cannot see. Remember when uh, Elisha is with Elisha? Open his eyes, Lord, so he can see the chariots of fire. Heaven is a dimension of reality. It's where God is. And you and I, even in this life, become part of that dimension of reality when we become a follower of Jesus. Okay? So what he's saying here is that the, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly, now here we are on earth, await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his lowly body. Paul's saying, listen, I can't give you all the theology of what actually happens between this life and the next. I can, 1 Corinthians 15, if you're a note-taker, talks a little bit about it. It's a, it's a long and interesting and challenging passage of Scripture. But what he's saying is this, by this verse and others. It's not this, you know, deep freeze, it's all done, get rid of it, you get a new body. He's going to transform your lowly body to be like his. Remember, when he says like his, he means the resurrected Jesus. Guess what? We have a number of instances in this New Testament scripture where we see him. When Jesus rose from the dead, they didn't go, by the way, who are you? They said, look, it's the Lord when they were on the ship. In other words, that birthmark he had, that wry smile he had, certainly the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, they recognized him. He was a transformed. There was a lot of things different about it, but other, there were things that were the same. How about Moses and Elijah when the G Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17? They didn't say, there's Jesus. Who are those two figures? They said, Moses and Elijah is with him. What should we do? How did they know that was Moses and Elijah? Someone must have described to them what Moses and Elijah looked like. Your body is forever. You know, one of the criticisms of the early church um, why people, people thought the teaching of Jesus was amazing, the teaching of the apostles were amazing, but many people, we know this from extant history, they had trouble with the early church. They had problems with it because they said, listen, um, uh, there's no temple. You know, whether, there was only two kind of religions in the first century, monotheistic Judaism and paganism. That's all they had. It was long before Islam came and a lot of the other Eastern religions. They, that was all they had. And both at the center of both of those systems of worship was a temple and they were sacrifices. You went to the Jewish temple or tabernacle and gave animal sacrifices. You went to the pagan temples, we'll see this in this book later, and you actually gave food sacrifices. Sometimes sex was a sacrifice, strange as that sounds. Sometimes children were sacrifices to idols. But you gave sacrifice. So people all of a sudden were coming to the early church which were meeting in homes, for a little while on the temple course where they were kicked out, they were meeting down by the river in the book of Philippians. They're saying, this is where they were meeting. They're saying, this is great. We love the teaching, but where's the temple? 
And Paul says, listen, your body is the temple. Think how radical it was if you were uh, someone who lived in this culture. Your, and your, the way you live your life is the sacrifice. What you do with your body, how you take care of it, matters a great deal. Point number one. Your body is forever. Now to the, to the matter at hand. Sex is more than skin deep. That's what Paul's trying to say here. They said, verse 13, here's their whole thinking summed up in one verse, and I'm not so sure a lot of people still today don't think this way. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Unquote. 613a. What they're saying is this. Sex is just another physical appetite. Get over it. Don't be such a prude. Get over all your heavy-duty thinking. There's not much more difference between eating a pizza and having sex. It doesn't matter who you have it with because everything that you're doing it with that is your body is going to be burned up and destroyed. Okay? Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. Paul says, not the case. Let me give you the rest of these verses in one sentence that Paul's going to say. The significance of your body in the future is related to the significance of your body in the present. That's what he's saying. The significance of your body in the future is related to the significance of your body in the present. Sex as designed by God involves the whole person. The whole person. When he says he quotes Genesis 2 out of nowhere, he doesn't even quote the whole verse. So I could get in and talk about, you know, a man shall be with a woman. That's another sermon. Paul doesn't even get to that yet. He's just saying, listen, sex, as it was designed in the covenant of marriage, the two will become one flesh. When he's talking about the two will become one flesh, he's not talking about, he's talking about a deep union between two people, physically, emotionally, spiritually, of which this sex act is simply the expression Okay? To two shall become one. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage, as God has designed it, here's what he's saying, is a sin against the whole person because God designed sex to involve the whole person. That's what it means that two will become one flesh. Genesis 4 1 says this Cain, or excuse me, Adam. Uh, knew his wife and she conceived. That's a sort of a euphemism used many times or a way of talking about sex. Adam knew his wife. The word know or knew, the past tense in Genesis 4.1, is the Hebrew term yada. And what the Hebrew term yada means is not I know that, you know, uh, uh, I know the Bills game is going to start at one. I know my last name is this. I know my favorite food is this. I know I live in New York State. It's not that kind of knowledge. It's a deep um, uh, 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 personal knowledge that is, is comprehensive, okay? The same word is used in the 139th Psalm. Lord, you know me. Lord, you have searched me and you know me, David says, yada. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You know my thoughts before I even think them. Wherever I go, you're already there. It's a deep kind of personal knowledge that is more than skin deep. 
That's what Paul is talking about here. Said another way. You take your whole self into the bed or the back seat of the car, okay? Uh, uh, whether you're conscious of it or not, that's what Paul is saying. It's a, it's a deep union between two people. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute is one with her? Not just one physically, when he quotes Genesis 2, 7, the two become one, and he uses the same word in verse 17 to say, you've become united with the Lord. That tells you it's not, a, it's not simply talking about the sex act. Christians are united. Now, now he slips into verse 17. Now we're talking about Jesus. Are united with Christ. Okay? You are united with Christ in the same way, in a manner of speaking. Which is why marriage is the covenant often used to talk about the covenant. But it's analogous to the covenant relationship we have with God. Okay? Christians are united, when Christians who are united with Christ, okay, wherever you go, he's there with you. You cannot help but take him wherever you go and involve him in, wherever, in, in whatever it is that you do. You are inextricably bound with Christ, spirit, soul, and body. Being a believer, this is what Paul is saying, unites us to Jesus and all we are now is joined with all who he is. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in these verses. Because, or excuse me, sex has a unique effect on a person's mind, heart, and spirit. Because it reflects the most intimate of interpersonal relationships, it should be reserved for the most permanent of interpersonal commitments. Let me say it again. Because it reflects the most intimate of personal relationships, it should be reserved for the most permanent of uh, personal commitments. That's what he's saying. Okay, That's what he's saying. Uh, our worst sins can be forgiven. We'll get to that in just a minute. You are bought with a price, right? There's nothing that you have done or that I have done in any area that God's redemption cannot touch. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah. But some of the effects of sin, it, particularly in this area, cannot be undone in this life. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside of the, are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Okay? Well, aren't other sins against the body, like, you know, drunkenness and, uh, you know, uh, 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 overeating and, and, and a thousand other things? Yes, but not in the same way. Sex is more than skin deep. Two years ago, about two years ago, I had the privilege in Celebrate Recovery to listen to a story of a guy um, who had an extramarital affair. Why he did it, what it did to him, although he's had great healing, can say that, um, and what it left behind. What it left behind. With permission, I share a piece of his story. In my experience, the sexual infidelity I was involved in was the ultimate form of escapism. 
Instead of dealing with the problems in my own marriage, relationships with my children, and lack of acceptance of myself, the gospel, I fled to the easy comfort and flimsy power of sexual conquest and doing whatever I wanted outside of my marriage. It initially felt incredibly rewarding because where I had failed in my own power in those relationships, here I had what felt like stunning success. It was exhilarating, intoxicating, and numbing all at the same time. Moreover, sustaining this behavior required emotional isolation from my closest relationships, my wife, my children, God, and true friends. Emotional isolation is a critical part of this. It fed my infidelity, and it was a prerequisite to it occurring because, quite conveniently, it blinded me from the damage I was doing to those I loved the most, including myself. When that exhilarating cocktail finally wore off and I faced the truth of my actions and choices, it was an emotional horror. It's hard to capture the words how painful it was to wake up to the damage my choices had caused on all sides, including the main person I was involved in the infidelity with. Now, he ends with an image. Imagine that you take comfort finding a safe, comfortable hiding place under a bed, only to wake up, crawl out from under it, and realize you're not in a bedroom, but you're, you are the captain of a ship. The whole time you've been enjoying your hiding place, the ship has been sinking. And you, your wife, and your kids are on it. Then you remember the reason you hid there in the first place is because you couldn't captain the ship. It was terror. The Bible verse that struck me, dead center at the heart, that most captures, listen, how I felt and how I still at times feel. Is 2 Corinthians quote, indeed in my heart it felt like the sentence of death. Okay? Now let me say something. The point of that illustration is simply this. Sex is more than skin deep. The two shall become one flesh. God designed it in the covenant of marriage because it's a deep, deep union. And you take all of yourself into that relationship whether you think it or not. That's why we have so many problems, many of us, coming out of the broken sexual experiences in our lives. But let me say this, very important I say this. I think a majority, perhaps, of the people in this room, including students, but certainly adults, a majority, perhaps, have experienced a sexual brokenness of a kind. It's almost impossible to be a human being. But here's what I want to say. This is not supposed to be a downer message. God's desire is to make you whole. You are bought with a price. He's telling even these people, right? Psalm 103, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins and our transgressions from us. We are united with Christ. And this says this, so many words. God knows you to the bottom. 
the things you'd never tell anybody else, not even your closest personal friend or spouse. God knows you to the bottom. He loves you to the skies. Okay? There is healing available. Of course there is. Otherwise, there would be no hope. You are bought with a price. What's the price? Jesus Christ. His body was broken for you and for me. And as we're united with him, verse 17, ongoing, we, God can br- come into the deepest brokenness in my life and bring healing and bring renewal and bring um, new and fresh life. Hope you don't, don't, do not walk out without hearing that message. Your body is forever. He will transform your lowly body to be like his. Sex is more than skin deep. Lastly, honor God with your body. Let me say this again. It's like about the gospel in relationships, right? Our standing before God is not based on compliance to the laws and the rules in the scriptures, Okay? My standing with God is based on what Jesus Christ has done for me. There's a sense in which these young Christians kind of got it right. I have the right to do anything. There is complete freedom. This is the, the, how the gospel is so amazing. That God has liberated you. If we truly understand what the scriptures say. My sins in Jesus Christ... God has forgiven the sins I committed in the past. He forgave the sins I commit in the present. He's forgiven already the sins I will commit in the future. I can't fully understand it, but this is what the Bible teaches. It's amazing. It's truly, truly amazing, the love of God in our lives. Paul's gonna, you're bought with a price. It's done, it's paid for. Use the metaphor, you're bought. However, Not everything is beneficial and, most importantly, end of verse 12, I will not be mastered by anything. Jesus Christ didn't just die to forgive you of your sin. He died to to release you of the power of that sin. Right? I don't want to be mastered by it. Not just sex, anything. Okay? We are free in one sense, absolutely. But we are not free to invent our own standards. We are bound to a relationship of obedience, if you're a Christian here today, and faithfulness to Christ. Listen, it is in our bodies, it is our bodies that Paul urges us to offer as a sacrifice in response to what God has done for us. Uh, because of his great mercy, his love, because you've been loved, Right? He knows you to the bottom. He loves you to the sky. Because he loves you so great, he's forgiven you. He's liberated you. He's given you a a home in heaven. He's done all this. Because of that, in response, your body's the temple. Not the one you're going to have later, the one you have now. Offer your, wait for it, bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, the way you live your life in this thing is the way you say thank you to God. Okay? The significance of the body in the future is related to the significance of the body in the present. We need to see ourselves as people who belong to the Lord and our moral decisions, not just in the area of sexual uh, experiences, okay? But we need to see that we belong to the Lord and our moral decisions should be shaped, listen very carefully, not by our culture or by our personal preferences both of those things will take you down a wrong road and that's not new news 
Jesus said, in this world 2,000 years ago, you will have trouble. Right? Because the world is broken. The, the God of this world is the devil. These aren't my words. And the world is going to move in the opposite direction often of where I want to move you. That's not new news. We need to make decisions, back to core 52, that are shaped not by our culture. Are you kidding me? The culture is a moving target. It changes its mind every day. It's shifting here and there, all kinds of uh, un, uh, strange things, not just about sexuality, but about other things. I don't need to be shaped by the culture but, or by my preferences, right? My preferences. If I followed all of my preferences, I wouldn't be standing here right now, right? I mean, uh, in, in any area, of, in areas of life, right? The Bible says... You know, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't cran on the wall and, or, or say a bad word or, uh, and become a sinner. I do those things and other things as I get older because I am a sinner. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. It's how I come into the world. That's why I need the redemption of Jesus, okay? It's not about the culture or my personal preferences, but I want to shape my desires by those things that glorify God. Honor God with your body. Here's a good way to think of it. We have a future, or excuse me, um, if we could think of our bodies as bodies with the future, my first point, we might be more careful about what we do with them today. If we could think of our bodies as bodies that have a future, I might be more careful in what I do with them. That's what Paul's really saying in so many words in this passage. Okay, but let me just stress again, we're done. All of us, many of us, have experienced brokenness in this area. I'm confident of it, right? Don't let that, the, the man I talked to you about who gave me permission, he and his family are doing very well because he's taken this unity with Christ more seriously and he's allowing Christ and you can do this today. How do I do it, pastor? Well, if you want to go to Celebrate Recovery, it's not, that's one place. Every Tuesday night, people are sharing stories like that one in being redeemed, in growing in, in healthy ways. Listen, people are doing it in small, people are sharing stories like that in small groups every uh, uh, month here at Browncroft. You want to get involved in a rooted group, it's a great idea at the end of next month. You want to get, you, you can get in a core 52 group and begin with another couple brothers or a couple sisters and begin to share and allow uh, the, the body of Christ to bring healing to you. Amen? Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for these minutes. I thank you for this time. Uh, we, we love you, Lord. And I just want to pray, Lord, uh, for all of us here in this room. Thank you that you, you say to me in a manner of speaking, uh, you know, uh, Rob, you are my son. And um, you have... Um, made a mess of your life here and there, you know, and, and, and I, uh, I love you, and I know you to the bottom, but I love you to the skies, and thank you, Lord, for coming into my life. Thank you for sending me the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for being an agent of healing in my life, and I pray for all of us in this room, Lord, 
wherever we are this morning, that we would know, if we're Christians, that we were bought with a price, a very, very high price, where Jesus Christ became a broken body uh, for us. But in that broken body, it was transformed into an everlasting body. And that, Lord, has been given to us even today in the, through the person of the Holy Spirit. Bring fresh healing, bring fresh thinking, bring fresh witness in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.